0: Time and chance happen to them them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and the birds, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it, but these are found in but there was a found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of the ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapon of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. We thank you, we adore you, Master. As we sit here, we're going to listen to the word. Lord, help us to sit with prayer so that uh, this is the food for the week, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to remember your death and the resurrection today, Lord. As Raven speaks today, bless him and uh, you speak to us, Lord. And we ask this most prayer pray in the most precious name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Good morning. good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Can you all smile at me? <laughs> all right. It's good to be back here. Last week we were in Chatishgarh. So we couldn't come here for worship, obviously. Um, we had a tremendous time there for about seven to eight days. We were challenged by a lot of things that we saw there and the sacrificial lives and ministries that people were involved in there. Um, it's just amazing. Um, so I want to thank Philip for reading and praying for me as well as the congregation for this morning. So we will continue our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, like Philip read for us from the passage... The passage is Ecclesiastes 9, verses 11 through 18. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 11 through 18. James Garfield, he was the 20th President of the United States. But before he went on to become the President of the United States, he worked as a principal in a college called Hiram College in Ohio. And when he was a principal, a father of a student there who was studying came and asked the principal this question. Is there a shorter route for my son to go through college? Can my son take lesser courses and finish the course? And uh, Garfield replied, certainly, but it all depends on what uh, what you want to make of your boy. And then he said this. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes a hundred years. And when God wants to make a shrub, he just takes a couple of months. And he also went on to say to the father that we are producing too many shrubs, but producing very less oak trees. So keep that in mind as we go to the next illustration. Mark Hatfield, a senator from the U.S., came to India when Mother Teresa was alive and she was serving in Calcutta. And uh, he went through the missionaries of charity, the place there. There were sick children who were being cared for in their last days. There was also a dispensary that was treating uh, people who had been um, even left by their own families. And so, seeing the sheer weight of the ministry and the service that Mother Teresa was doing, Hatfield had this question for her. He asked her, How can you bear the load of this enormity without being crushed by it? How can you bear such enormous load without being crushed by it? And Mother Teresa replied, My dear Senator, I'm not called to be successful. I'm only called to be faithful. I'm not called to be successful. I'm only called to be faithful. Now, every one of us wants to be successful in life be it in our career, be it in our studies, be it in our ministries even, we all want to be successful. But how can you guarantee success? I suspect that you would agree with me this morning that human strategies will not work all the time because they are too simplistic sometimes. And after all, as Christians, you and I can't buy into all of the human theories about success. Solomon as we've been seeing in the last nine chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, has taken time to look at various aspects of life, to find meaning of life. And then he has come away with a pretty bleak prognosis. And the prognosis is that without God, you cannot find meaning in life in anything in this world. He looked at life from various angles. He conducted a lot of research, he used his wisdom and came away with the understanding and the conclusion that without God in this world, you can never find satisfaction, you can never find meaning. But then he also concluded something else, and he clarified to us that, yes, this world is out of control, yes, it's very hard to live in this world, there's a lot of injustice here, even the governments are unjust governments. But you need one ingredient in this world to live well. And Solomon went on to say that the most important ingredient for us to live in this world is the ingredient of wisdom. He said we all need to have wisdom. And that is one quality that we need to pursue if we have to live well in this crazy world. Every single person needs this quality. It's absolutely essential. We need wisdom in our lives. But Solomon has also shown what happens when there's no wisdom. He says he said it destroys societies in various chapters of Ecclesiastes that we've seen so far. He also said it destroys our workplaces, it destroys our lives. In contrast, he said wisdom saves cities, wisdom facilitates good work and wise government. And then he went on to say that in this frustrating and meaningless world, the one quality that we all need to have, is wisdom. This raises a couple of questions for us this morning. And these are important questions that we need to ask. And that is, is wisdom a sure guarantee for success? Now, notice the logic here that Solomon has been taking so far. He said, I've searched for everything. I've looked everywhere for meaning, and I've not found it apart from God. But there's one quality that you need in this life to navigate through this life. And that is the quality of wisdom. But the question that we need to raise this morning is that if we have wisdom, will it guarantee success? And just because we have wisdom, will we automatically succeed? Or better, are there any warnings that I need to heed this morning about wisdom that will help me live well in this crazy world? Are there any warnings that I need to hear about wisdom that will help me navigate in a world such as ours? So this morning's passage will give us three warnings about wisdom that you and I need to hear. Three warnings about wisdom that you and I need to hear for us to be able to live well in this uncertain life. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 through 18. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 11 through 18. So if you'll follow along, here is the outline. In verses 11 and 12, you will see the first warning that Solomon is giving about wisdom. And that is, Wisdom cannot always guarantee good outcomes. Wisdom cannot always guarantee good outcomes. Solomon says, wisdom has limitations. It has its own limits. Time and uncertainty, uncertainties of life catch up with all of us. And life is utterly unpredictable and filled with sudden turns and twists. To explain this, Solomon gives us two observations. The first thing that he says is that, Able people don't always succeed. Able people don't always succeed. Look at verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Man's ability cannot guarantee the results because of the equalizing effects of time and chance. Man's ability cannot always guarantee success or the result that we desire because there is the equalizing effect of time and chance. And we see five statements that Solomon is making here where the results are unexpected. And he follows it up by, by an explanation. The first thing he says in verse 11 is that the fastest always does not win the race. The second thing is that the strongest don't always win the battle. Thirdly, he says, the wise sometimes go hungry. Fourthly, the skilled aren't always the richest. And fifthly, he says, the educated don't always get the breaks or don't always get the jobs that they so desire. The truth is, the athletic superstar the most ingenious, the wealthiest person, the most popular person in the world are subject to circumstances beyond their control. And that's why Solomon here says, time and chance happen to all. Time and chance happen to all. Isn't it true? We see, that, we see this all the time in our lives, isn't it? The fastest runner is sometimes unable to win the race because he sprained an ankle the best businessman in the world is unable to make a deal crack because he made a wrong deal. Or the best doctor in the world is unable to save the life of somebody because there are things and circumstances that are beyond his control. It's also true that sometimes a well-trained troop Is unable to win the battle as well. And we see this in the Bible, uh, in the book of Judges. Gideon is a good example of that. He took 300 men and he defeated a huge army of thousands of people. So it's not always the wise who make money. Uh, They also fail sometimes is what Solomon is saying. Only the Lord can control time and chance. And that's why uh, Solomon earlier said, to everything there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. God has ordained a time, God has ordained a purpose, and God has ordained beauty as well, is what Solomon has said so far. The word "chance" here means occurrence or event. It does not mean luck or gamble. It means uh, an occurrence or an event. So Solomon's point here is that sometimes the job goes to the person who finds himself at the right place at the right time. He may not be necessarily educated He may not necessarily qualify for the job, but just because he found himself at the right place at the right time, he got the job. And clearly, luck is a word that fools use when God gives them a break. And the fact of the matter is, we as Christians do not believe in luck, and there is no such thing as luck, because we believe in the providential care and the sovereignty of God, and time and chance, everything is under God's control. Time belongs to God. And chance belongs to God. So we live in a world where people make a very lucrative career by suppressing people. And there are plenty of motivational speakers, life coaches, who will gladly tell us how to live, how to succeed, how to have so much hair on our head. And there are products that will make us look better, smell better, and all of that. But at the end of the day, Solomon reminds us that speed, strength, beauty, wisdom, riches, none of these are guarantees for success. The preacher introduces us to the variables of time and chance. So the first thing that he says is, able people can't always succeed. Secondly, he goes on to say that bad things happen abruptly and unexpectedly. Bad things happen abruptly and unexpectedly. Look at this uh, verse 12. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. In spite of the person's present status, no matter how successful he is, no matter how handsome he is, or no matter how powerful he is, Even if they appear to be invincible, their time on earth can suddenly and abruptly come to an end. And notice the descriptions that Solomon gives here. Like fish taken in a cruel net. Or like birds caught in a snare. So here, of course, Solomon is talking about the divine and providential hand of God who is ultimately in control. And the truth is, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard a man tries, he can never fully master his own fate. He can never control his own destiny. It is God who is sovereign over everything. The seasons of life bring bring uncertainty. And that's why here Solomon says, For a man also does not know his time. And the seasons of uncertainty are inescapable as well. He says, It's a cruel net. You are caught in a snare. And life is also abrupt when it suddenly falls upon them, is a phrase that Solomon is saying. But Solomon is using a phrase here, that the sons of men are snared in an evil time. What does he mean by that? That the sons of men are snared in an evil time. It may be a reference to the fact that with life comes death as well. If you're living, you're one day for sure going to die. But Solomon may also be talking about the weird and the wicked things that happen to us in our life. People don't knowingly build their house on a fault line and see that tsunami is going to destroy them. People don't go and live in a place where robbers will come and barge into their house and rob everything that they have. They all happen abruptly. We don't want that to happen. We don't want such uncertainties to happen in our life, but they all do happen abruptly and unexpectedly. So these are two things that Solomon begins with. So in verses 11 and 12, we saw the first warning about wisdom, and that is, wisdom cannot always guarantee good outcomes, An example of how wisdom has uncertain future will be seen in our second point as Solomon gives us an illustration about a poor man whose wisdom was used and his wisdom was forgotten as well. And you will see that in verses 13 through 16. They say that wisdom cannot always guarantee a reward. Wisdom cannot always guarantee a reward. Now, notice the warnings that he is giving about wisdom. Firstly, wisdom cannot always give us good outcomes. Secondly, wisdom does not always guarantee us a reward. Don't look for your ultimate reward here, for though wisdom is beneficial in this world, it does not always produce rewards, and it's sometimes ignored and even thwarted by sinners. And in explaining this, Solomon explains uh, two things for us. The first thing he says is that the poor man in the story that we're going to read was not rewarded for his wisdom. Look at verses 13 through 15. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor man, wise man, And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. Notice what the preacher is saying here. He begins by saying, I have also seen under the sun, or I have also observed something under the sun. Whenever Solomon observes something, he makes comments about it, and here is his observation. He narrates that in the form of a story, and here is a story. Once there was a small defenseless city, it was facing an attack from a great and a powerful king. Time was limited. Death was inescapable. And uh, escape seemed impossible as well. But in this horrible situation, a poor man stood up. And by his wisdom, he delivered the city from this great king and mighty king. Well, I want to tell you that an, an incident like this actually took place in history. Now, you remember the story of uh, the Greek thinker by the name of Archimedes? You know, Archimedes' principle, we've all studied that if you're a science student in school. In about 212 or 213 B.C., Archimedes uh, was living in a city called Syracuse, and the Roman army came against a city called Syracuse. And uh, it was not the might of the army of Syracuse that protected the city, but it was the wisdom of this man by the name of Archimedes. Archimedes was a mathematical genius, and so he designed something called large catapults for the city. And as the ships were approaching the shore, even distant ships could be knocked off and uh, be turned into smithereens by these big lead balls that were catapulted from the city. And not just that, he, through a pulley system, also built cranes. These cranes would launch out into the ocean and grab the ships with a claw and break them and then put them back in the sea. And so they could not approach the shore at all. Marcellus, the Roman general, at the end of the day, he said he could not stand up to the intelligence of this man, Archimedes, He went on to say this, Archimedes uses my ships to ladle seawater into his wine cups. Archimedes uses my ships to ladle seawater into my wine cups. Solomon is mentioning a story something like this. We don't know who this poor man is. We don't know how and with, uh, with what kind of a wisdom he saved the city or delivered the city. Whatever he did, he had a big impact on the city. He delivered the city with his wisdom. But the fact of the matter is, As we read the story, and as the story underlines for us the importance of wisdom, we all begin to think that wisdom is so important, it's celebrated, until we read this verse, that yet he was not remembered. That poor man was not remembered. As soon as danger passed, he was forgotten. He was not rewarded. Wisdom is valuable, but the fact of the matter is it can go unnoticed, it can go unappreciated, it can go unrewarded. The preacher is telling us here to pursue wisdom. It is essential. But don't assume that just because you're building wisdom, just because you're using wisdom to deliver somebody or help somebody, that it will be noticed or it will be rewarded. It can sometimes go unnoticed and unrewarded. So the poor man here was not rewarded for his wisdom. Secondly, Solomon says, Wisdom is better than strength, although detested from the poor. Verse 16. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. This is true. The poor man's wisdom was despised because he lacked status, he lacked position. Most people would listen to a wise man if the wise man was rich. They would have no respect for the poor. They possibly believe if this man is so wise, why didn't he become rich through his wisdom? Generally speaking, the words of a poor wise man are not heeded. They were heeded long enough for them to be saved from that mighty king who was attacking the city. Wisdom is better than strength. Wisdom brings the necessities of life to the wise. The story here teaches us that in spite of the value of wisdom, it might go unnoticed sometimes. It's true in our lives as well, because we are sometimes snobbish not to take wisdom from people who we think are socially at a lower level or intellectually at a lower level. They might give the best kind of advice to us, but we just brush it away only because of the kind of view we have about that person. And Solomon here is saying that wisdom is better than strength, although detested from the poor. So, so far... Solomon has given us two warnings about wisdom. Yes, wisdom is beneficial. It is essential for us to live in this world, but two warnings about wisdom. First thing is that wisdom does not always guarantee good outcomes. Secondly, wisdom cannot always guarantee a reward as well. Then there's a third warning that Solomon wants to give us about wisdom, and that is in verses 17 and 18. They say that wisdom can be undone by a little folly. Wisdom can be undone by a little folly. All the benefits of wisdom can be undone by a little evil that you and I could commit. A little sin that you and I could commit. And Solomon gives us two insights into this, and these are very, very important. Firstly, he says, the shouts of the powerful may override wisdom. Look at verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. No one knows more about wisdom than this preacher, Solomon. Yet he also knows the weakness and the vulnerability of wisdom. Uh, When Solomon mentions the ruler here, he is simply not talking about the king, but anybody who is in charge. And he goes on to say that wisdom does not always win, because sometimes the person who shouts the loudest and who pushes his point may win over wisdom. And that's why he says the shouts of powerful may sometimes override wisdom. Charles Swindoll once said this, Human rulers always outshout wise counselors, and fools prefer the former. Human rulers always outshout the wise counselors, and fools prefer the former. Secondly, and this is what I want to concentrate on a little bit, he says a small sin can destroy the value of wisdom. A small sin can destroy the value of wisdom. Look at verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Please understand this. I say this to you as sincerely as as I say this to myself, that it only takes a little folly to undo a massive amount of wisdom that we would have gathered. Wisdom is valuable, but wisdom is vulnerable as well. A single mistake can do lots of damage and nullify years of work that you and I may have done. Philip Rykin, a great commentator on the book of Ecclesiastes, he says this, he puts it well when he says, Wisdom is sweet like a fragrant perfume, but it does not take much foolishness to turn things sour because uh, foolishness stinks. All it takes is one rash word, one rude remark, one hasty decision, one foolish pleasure, one angry outburst to spoil everything. This is true, and I've seen it as well in my own life. Years of wisdom can be undone by one moment of folly. And I've seen a few people undo years of ministry, years of hard work, just by one sin that they have committed. Look at what a pastor who is pastoring in the U.S. I want to leave him unnamed, but uh, he was writing about his friend as he was flying to Toronto to speak with his friend at a conference. This is what he wrote. A few years ago, I was heading to a retreat. One of my friends was going to be there as well. He pastored in Toronto. God seemed to be blessing his ministry. And then he moved to the United States. He pastored some bigger churches there. Things seemed to be going well for him. On the way to the retreat, I got an email asking if I'd heard the news about my friend. There had been a fly in his life. The fly had died, so to speak. As a result of one moment of folly, he did great damage to his marriage, his reputation, and his ministry. One moment of folly undid massive amounts of wisdom. To this day, he has never recovered. One moment of folly did massive amount of undoing to the wisdom that he had gathered, and he has never recovered from there. Billy Graham once said this. He says, I wake up every morning with the fear that I might blow away 50 years of faithfulness to my Lord. I wake up one morning with the fear that I might do something today that will blow away 50 years of faithfulness to my Lord. One of the scariest things to realize in this world is that it takes years and years and years to build up wisdom, to build up testimony and reputation. It only takes one moment to put it away. So let me describe for you some of the follies that you and I may be engaged in that could undo us undo our wisdom undo our testimony nobody knows about it but you could be watching certain sides and you can't break away from it you're doing it in secret it's not physical yet yet but you could be emotionally attached to somebody who's not your spouse you're drinking in private and you won't want to drink when somebody important or somebody from the church is around. Your financial de- uh, dealings are not very clear or above the board. But you haven't been caught yet. And you're hoping you'll never be caught. What we're talking about here are secret sins. Give them enough time and they'll outweigh any wisdom. They'll outweigh any testimony that you've gathered up or garnered so far. Here is a long quote that I want to read, but I think it's important for us to understand. This is written in Victorian English by Charles Spurgeon. So, uh, but I know you would understand it. There are thou's and thy's and all of that in his English. But let's try and understand it and see the point that he has to make here. Spurgeon said this, Thou art a fool to think of harboring a secret sin. And thou art a fool for this one reason, that thy sin is not a secret sin, it is known. And one day shall be revealed, perhaps very soon, Thy sin is not a secret. The eye of God has seen it already. Thou hast sinned before his face. A man cannot commit a little sin in secret without being by and by betrayed into a public sin. Did you hear that? You cannot, sir, though you may think you can preserve a moderation in sin. If you commit one sin, it is like the melting of a lower glacier upon the Alps. The others must follow in time. As certainly as you heap one stone upon the cane today, the next you will cast another. Until the heap reared stone by stone shall become a very pyramid. You will go there every day. Such is the bewitching character of it. You cannot help it. You may as well ask the lion to let you put your head into its mouth. You cannot regulate his jaws. Neither can you regulate sin. Once you go into it, you cannot tell what will, uh, when you will be destroyed. So Solomon's point here is, and what Spurgeon's point here is, that take things seriously. A lifetime of wisdom can be done by a moment of folly. And the teacher is telling us the need for wisdom, but he's giving us some warnings that wisdom has its weaknesses. Wisdom has its weaknesses. So three things we've seen so far about warnings about wisdom. Firstly that wisdom cannot always guarantee good outcomes. Secondly, wisdom cannot always guarantee a reward as well. And wisdom, much wisdom, can be undone by a little folly. So where shall, we, where shall we go from here as we've heard three warnings about wisdom? Let me give you three applications, very simple ones, and very quickly as well. Firstly, you and I must commit to pursuing godly wisdom. You and I must commit to pursuing Godly wisdom. Particularly, you and I must commit to reading and studying God's word every day. That's from where we get the wisdom to live in this world. It's not just coming here on a Sunday morning and listening to the word. It is important. It is good. But the fact of the matter is, you and I should be digging into the word on a daily basis, alone with our families, in our cell groups, and everywhere. We should be drenched in the word. That's from where wisdom comes. That's from where godly wisdom comes. And it's my desire that scripture would reverberate everywhere in in our assembly, in every family, in every life. That's the importance of scripture. And I hope you and I would resolve this morning to pursuing wisdom through the studying of scripture. Secondly... Be aware of an area of folly in your life that has a potential danger to do a major damage to your life. I'm not omniscient. Only God is. You're not omniscient either. But all you and I can do this morning is to look at our own lives and see if there are any areas, and most of us do certainly have such areas, that could do major damage in our lives. And these are secret sins. We must repent of them this morning itself. And we must shun them away. If you need help, come out and speak to somebody. But don't hide your sins and don't keep sinning in private because one day it's going to blow up and it's going to come out in public like what we just saw. Finally and lastly, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. The solution is not to look to ourselves. The solution is not to look at wisdom as well. But the solution is to look to Jesus. You know, let me share a story with you that will... That will talk about what is the difference it makes in looking at Jesus. A neurologist by the name of Oliver uh, Oliver Sachs wrote a book called "An Anthropologist on Mars." There, he shared the story of a little boy uh, who is now 50 years old, but right from the time he was little, he was blind, and he was operated on and he was given eyes. His name is Virgil, at the age of 50. He underwent a surgery. He got sight. But after he got sight, he never started behaving like all of us who have sight. He'd been blind for 50 years, and all of a sudden, he got eyes. And so the way he was behaving was not coherent. He was behaving in incoherent ways. He couldn't put colors together. Um, he uh, He couldn't tell the difference between various colors and all of those things. And so Dr. Sachs went on to say that the physical capacity is different from actual seeing. That the physical capacity of having eyes is different from actual seeing itself. And then he went on to make this statement. For Virgil to behave like a man who actually sees, he must die to being a blind man and then be born again as a man who really has eyes. Only then he can behave like a man who has eyes, can see everything. And the point is, just because you and I see Jesus as a model or try to follow him, we cannot automatically behave like Jesus. It takes much more than that. It takes a dying and then a living again in the person of Jesus, in the life that only he can give. So what is Solomon's point this morning? The whole passage basically says that wisdom cannot guarantee success or a reward and can be undone by little evil. So wisdom is essential, but the wise cannot be more sure of their earthly future than any fool. Let me finish this with an illustration here. Uh, Lord Kenneth Clark, uh, he was internationally known for his television series called Civilization. He lived and died without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he described in his book one day he was sitting in a church, And as he was sitting in the church during a worship service, he talked about the joy that engulfed his heart. There was a lot of joy for him. And he said it is a one-off experience. He's never had such an experience in his lifetime. It was a heavenly kind of joy. It was too intense to bear, is what he said. But he said, the moment I experienced that, it created a problem to me. I understood that because I experienced this kind of a joy, if I want to pursue this joy and come to the source of this joy it will mean that my family will make fun of me. The other people in the British Parliament will make fun of me. And I'll have to give up a lot of things. And because I am so attached to the world, I will give up on this moment of experience, and the joy is what he went on to say. So finally, what we need to look at is that you and I need to endeavor to become wise to comprehend how unwise you and I really are until we come to Christ. And only in Christ we are wise. And you and I also need to endeavor to become wise enough to recognize that we can find our joy only in God and God alone. Thank you for your patience, and let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word from the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, speaking thousands of years ago, is very pertinent even today, O Lord. He has clearly explained that we need wisdom to live in this world. It is essential for each one of us. But wisdom has some limitations, and we need to be warned of that. Thank you for warning from your word about the limitations of wisdom, about where wisdom lacks, and help us to find that wisdom in you. Help us to find that godly wisdom in you so that we can navigate through this life. We also want to thank you for the rest of the things that are going to happen today, the couples group and the time of fellowship and everything, O Lord. We pray, O Lord, it would be a blessing to each one of us seated here. In Jesus' name.